Hi, everybody. Now, the episode you're about to hear was recorded a couple of weeks ago, but in terms of what happened this weekend in the Bundesliga, I wanted to take the opportunity now to go ahead and jump on that as soon as possible. So, it was probably the most boring weekend in the Bundesliga for a while. After a weekend with a lot of wild scorelines going into the international break, we came into this weekend with... 1-0 1-0 win for Dortmund over Hoffenheim, a 1-1 draw between Bremen and Freiburg, a 1-1 draw between München Gladbach and Wolfsburg, a 1-1 draw between Köln and Eintracht Frankfurt, a 1-1 draw between Schalke and Union Berlin, a 2-0 win for Leipzig over Augsburg, a 1-0 win for Leverkusen over Mainz, a 2-0 win for Stuttgart over Hertha Berlin at the Olympiastadion, and a 4-1 win for Bayern over Armenia Bielefeld, which is a team from a city that does not exist. It amounted to an incredibly boring weekend, as I just mentioned. A bunch of 1-1 draws, or at minimum, like, 1-0 wins. As of right now, the table sees Bayern jumping up from 4th to 2nd behind RB Leipzig. Borussia Dortmund are in 3rd. Eintracht Frankfurt 4th. 5th place VfB Stuttgart. Sixth and falling uh, Augsburg. The bottom five now look Armenia Bielefeld in 14th, Hertha Berlin in 15th, Köln in 16th, and then the relegation spots. uh, Schalke move up after getting a draw, and then Mainz sit in 18th with no points. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was something that happened in the youth academy ranks over the weekend. Uh, the U19 sides of Borussia Dortmund and FC Schalke played themselves a mini version of the Revere Derby. Uh, Dortmund has a really exciting young player named Yusufa Mukoko. He's only 15 years old, but he's scored uh, three hat tricks in three games in in their uh, in their games one against Van Wiesbaden and another against Preussen Münster before scoring a hat trick this weekend against Schalke and there were a number of racist comments thrown his way Schalke's uh, official Twitter account apologized for them uh, saying that they're going to be taking necessary measures but this is the second major, uh, if my memory serves correctly, this is the second major racial, racist incident that has fallen on Schalke over the last two years. And with the Revere Derby coming up this weekend, I'm a little bit hesitant to say things will be looking better, especially considering Dortmund's squad is one of the most, one of the more diverse squads in the Bundesliga. That's kind of one of the reasons why I like to watch the Bundesliga is because of how diverse the squads are. Racism is bad. I mean, if if you're learning this from my podcast, then uh, I don't know how to help you. I don't know what to tell you, but... um, Schalke really, really need to get it together as a club, not only on the pitch, but off it as well, because this isn't the first time this has happened. This is not the first time we've heard that Schalke are going to, quote, uh, take 
any necessary measures about this. Um, I hope that they figure it out. They find who said these things and kick them out of the stadium for good. But we'll just have to wait and see. But setting that aside for now, we move on to the episode that we recorded with Luis Miguel Echegaray talking about the Champions League coming up. And we will save the best group for last. So without further ado, let's get into that. Welcome back. And now we get to the true meat and potatoes of this podcast. We talked about the DFP Pokal. We talked about the Bundesliga. But next week, the UEFA Champions League begins. It's an exciting competition, one that Bayern Munich just recently won. And to to come here and discuss that with us is one of the people that you can see on the new broadcaster for the UEFA Champions League in the United States, CBS Sports. He is putting out a new podcast, a new podcast with CBS Soccer called Que Golazo. I am very proud and very happy to be joined by Luis Miguel Echegaray. Luis, Luis, how are you doing today? First of all, Jake, I, I, the way that you said my name, it's like, you, it's like you're my family. It's like you're my cousin <laughs> just get, just calling me on Skype and saying, with Miguel, what's up? So well done, my friend. Well done. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited uh, to talk some Champions League. And as you mentioned, uh, as we launched Kego Lasso podcast, excited to talk about that too. But happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate getting in as many people as possible and uh, having a diverse voice of people on here. So this is great. I'm really looking forward to this. So for the audience at home, the way we're going to structure this preview is we're going to talk about the group stage. We're going to kind of glance over the basic headlines of every team coming into the group stage, and then we'll offer our predictions as to where we think everybody's going to end up. We're going to start, we're going to go in alphabetical order, but instead of just going from A through H, we're going to go in the order of where the groups will be playing in terms of what day. So groups E through H play on Tuesday, groups A through D play on Wednesday. So we'll start with group E because they play first, right? That group is Krasnodar, Stade Rene, Chelsea, and Sevilla. Chelsea, of course, spent big this summer. They got Timo Werner, they got Kai Havertz, they got Hakim Ziyech. Uh, Sevilla, meanwhile, lost their club icon in Everbanega. Uh, and they might struggle without major attacking talent as you can see, Luke de Jong wasn't exactly the greatest striker for them in the world, even though they were able to get two goals off of them. He's not exactly consistent. He's more aging than anything else. I couldn't really find much on Rene and Krasnodar just to just to throw that out there. But uh, what are you looking for specifically? Obviously, the big matchup is going to be Chelsea versus Sevilla. What are you looking for uh, in that game and who do you like to top the group? Yeah, this is going to be an interesting group, Jake. I think, uh, you know, when you look at it, you may think, as you mentioned, you know, just instinctively that Chelsea and Sevilla are going to be the top two. And then uh, Ren and Krasnodar will probably like, you know, fight it out and, and see what they can do from an underdog perspective. Uh, but let's let's focus first on Chelsea. Um, you know, I, I've said it from the very beginning, as soon as Timo Werner came and Thiago Silva, of course, Kai Havertz. You know, now that Pulisic is healthy, whatever. This is now a squad that's actually better suited for the Champions League as opposed to domestic competition. I actually see Lampard struggling more in the Premier League as opposed to the Champions League. It's such an intercontinental squad 
that I think will do a lot much better uh, as they look in this Group B. Sevilla, you know, you know, Sevilla have always had this um, conversation where it's like in the Europa, they go at it, they kill it, they do amazing, you know, obviously just won it. You mentioned Banega left, but they still have so much talent from all over the pitch. And it's in the Champions League where they really need to deliver and get to the knockout stage. And Julian Lopetegui, I think, has made them better has made them more compact, has made them more competitive, as you saw in the Super Cup. I don't care that it's a one-off game trophy. It was a really good game, and it was very competitive. And Bayern didn't exactly win that comfortably, right? It was it was a tough one for them. So you could see that Sevilla has a lot of tools in order to, you know, not just come second and qualify to the knockout stages, but, you know, maybe top the group. But I still see Chelsea leading uh, in that regard, and I'm sure we'll talk about the other two in a second, but I think when you look at Chelsea, when you look at Sevilla, Sevilla has the advantage of intercontinental competition as of late. Chelsea has the advantage of the fact that it's a more grounded squad. So it all comes down to that. At the end of the day, I think eventually it's about depth, right? But at the very beginning of this, I see Chelsea going all out. They have too many weapons. They'll top this group, and I would see them beat Sevilla. The one thing that I'm kind of surprised about is how relatively easy of a group this is for the top two, because normally my gut instinct whenever there's a group with Sevilla in it is to automatically just play Sevilla third so that they get bumped out of the Champions League and then go on to win the Europa League, right? Because that's normally what they do. But with Krasnodar and with Ren, I don't know exactly if they could be able to do it. If this was a group with, say, for example, Ebe Leipzig, if they were in this group, I think that Leipzig and Chelsea would probably advance and then Sevilla would go on to win the Europa League for the nine millionth time in a row. But I don't see any real threat from Ren or from Krasnodar. Not to say that they don't have great young talent on both of those teams, really. I just don't see either of them being able to make an impact with either of these teams that are going to be definitely at the top. I think the argument with that, I agree with you with Krasnodar. I think this is like, you know, they just made it into the Champions League, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, um, probably even three weeks ago when this podcast comes out. So I, I agree there. I think they're just going to be more a nuisance as opposed to an actual threat. Then, however, I'm telling you, like, I'm not saying that obviously they're going to win the group or whatever, but watch out. This is a team that is topping Liga. A. Yes, granted, Liga can sometimes be a little bit of an anomaly when it comes to like what's good and what isn't, right? But Eduardo Camavinga just scored for the national team recently. He is a tremendous talent, but it's not just about him. Steven Nsonzi, Renaissance man, is doing well for Ren as well. They have this kid, uh, Gurassi, uh, you know, young 20-year-old kid up front who's super, super experienced talented Rafinha on one wing they have a lot of talent it's just it's more about the lack of experience in the tournament itself right and also I think people undervalue or underestimate the scheduling for these teams these new teams they suddenly you know it's okay to think about it in match day one but think about it in match day four match day five when they find themselves oh man I gotta do domestic competition I gotta travel to the Champions League. I gotta come back perhaps for another domestic game. Then maybe the cup. It just mounts up. That's why it's a cliched and a simplistic thing to say, but depth is so important. But I'm telling you, like Ren 
could cause an upset every now and they're just they're very very good they're not leading the top of the table in France just by coincidence they're very talented yeah we'll absolutely have to keep an eye out on them they might actually turn into the Salzburg of this uh, of this year if they if all of that youth and all of that depth plays out exactly the way that you uh, that you believe that it will I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, is it Kamanaviga or Kamaviga? Kamavinga. Uh, Kamavinga. All <laughs> yeah. right. So the young Frenchman, he just, I think he just scored his first ever international goal with uh, Le Bleu over the weekend. So, and it was a good one. So, yeah, this will be, this will be fun to watch, to watch him. Uh, moving on to Group F, the first group to have a Bundesliga team playing uh, for all the Bundesliga fans at home that normally listen to this podcast. Uh, Borussia Dortmund, Club Brugge out of Belgium, Lazio, and Zenit St. Petersburg. I think I ended up writing when when we did a preview for this, I wrote down, thank God that there weren't fans in the stands because that Zenit-Lazio game would Ooh. just be two groups of ultras trying to outright wing each other. And I don't know <laughs> if we need that in, in this world right now. But uh, I have enough to write to mention every something about everything in this group, right? For Bruges, all I have written down is Ethan Horvath. And I mean that's pretty much all I all I have to say. My hope is that he gets some starting time. Uh, I believe that there's a more experienced goalkeeper above him, though, so I doubt that. Uh, Zenit St. Petersburg they lost Kokorin, right? And Kokorin had been injured a lot recently, but two seasons ago he was one of their most consistent scorers. One of their top scorers had a great performance for Russia in the 2018 World Cup. They also lost Bronislav Ivanovic, but that's okay because they gained Dejan Lovren, and that's all you need, <laughs> according to any Liverpool fan. Dejan Lovren can do no wrong. He's basically, what I'm trying to say is we should both put Zenit at the top of this group because of Dejan Lovren. There. Uh, Lazio, a really quirky storyline here. Chiro Immobile gets to go back to the Westfalenstadion and play against a team that he was loaned out to uh, after having an impressive season last year with Lazio. Towards the top, I believe he was the leading scorer for Serie A. If not one, then he was definitely number two. And then, of course, Borussia Dortmund, they have that beautiful attacking front three of Erling Haaland, Jaden Sancho, and uh, Giovanni Reina now as well. I personally think that Borussia Dortmund kind of won the transfer window out of every team in Europe solely because they were able to keep Jaden Sancho on their team for another year. Uh, at least I hope it's for another year and that Man United don't offer them like 200 million euro and just reinvigorate the transfer market and inflate every single price all over again. But um I guess this is really interesting, right? Because Dortmund is probably the consensus pick to top this group. The other three teams all have a decent chance at cracking this. Who do you who do you like in this one? Yeah, it's an interesting group, as you mentioned. I mean, obviously, like you said, uh, conventional wisdom will make you think Borussia Dortmund should get this. You talked about Jadon Sancho staying. That's very big for Borussia Dortmund. You know, the most boring telenovela story this summer was if Jadon Sancho was going to go to Manchester United. I was just getting really over it. Like, you know, make it happen or not make it happen, for Christ's sake. But, there, you know, Borussia Dortmund has so much talent. 
and is so comfortable. I mean, forget about Holland. We're talking about a 17-year-old American who's just pulling some strings, Gio Reyna, but it's not just about him. You know, the thing about Dortmund, like pretty much any top German side is, it's not necessarily, yes, we talk about individual talent all the time, but it's about what they do collectively, how they work together. And again, the same way that I talked about Chelsea and Lampard, I feel that Dortmund this season will have better chances in the Champions League as opposed to trying to dethrone Bayern Munich uh, in the Bundesliga. And you look at this group and you can see that. I mean, you, you really think that Dortmund should take care of business. You mentioned the other three. Listen, Club Bruges is, you know, is an interesting team because, you know, they're the kind of team that deserves to be in the Champions League but doesn't do enough to deserve to get out into the knockout stages. They do have a lot of talent, like you mentioned, right? Uh, Mignolet, of, uh, of course, in goal, like, you know, he knows exactly what it's like to play in these kind of situations. They play in a super fun 4-3-3 system, right? Uh, with Yata, Baji, and uh, Decateleri, like, up front. But they like to move around. They like to play it to them. My worry with them has always been the same worry, how they protect uh, any kind of lead if they get one when they don't have the ball. And when you look at this group and you have Haaland on one side and you have Chiro Immobile, who was just uh, one of the most prolific number nines out there, it's going to be difficult for them. I look at Lazio and Lazio, again, their formation is basically like, and their strategy is come at us. Let's see what you got. So the Lazio-Dortmund game should be really interesting because what they do is they play with three at the back and they just load up that midfield and they just look up for Immobile to see if it's free. Now, when Immobile is properly marked and guarded, then Lazio's creativity becomes a little bit limited. So I'm wondering what will happen in those situations. And Senate St. Petersburg, listen... There's a big South American influence in this team. You've got the Brazilian Malcolm up front. You've got uh, Barrios, that Colombian, uh, in the middle of the field. He's amazing. I I'm such a fan of it. And Douglas Santos at the back, uh, 23, 24-year-old fullback. So they have, you know, even though they have, like, Lovren, as you mentioned, and obviously a lot of Russian influence, it's very South American as well. So they can shake you a little bit. But... It's incredibly ironic that Zenit St. Petersburg has a deep South American influence. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is like, you know, it must be something in their contracts to say that these are the ones that are protected. But I would say that Borussia Dortmund uh, would win the group. And I, I just see that Lazio has waited so long to be back here. Like, I don't think they're going to give up that second spot too easily. And I think people under it, they're going to really... I mean, I'm such a fan of Chiro Immobile. He is just... He's such an old-school striker, and I love it. And I think that he's going to be leading Lazio in the way to the top two. Yeah, I can't really... As much as I hype this up as saying the other three really have a chance, I really don't see anybody else other than Lazio being able to make it out of this group. I just think that when you compare them to Zenit, I think that Lazio is not as hit or miss as Zenit. And therefore, I, I just, I think just based on that, I think it's pretty safe for them to, uh, for both them and Dortmund to get through. Uh, moving on to Group G. Now, all due respect to Ferenc Faros and to Dinamo Kiev, the story of this group does not lie with them. I doubt that Kiev or Ferenc Faros will be able to advance. The real story is that for the first time in the history of the Champions League, 
Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo are going to be meeting each other in the group stages of the Champions League. Uh, my instinct is just to say Juve first, Barcelona second, just because of how terribly run Barcelona is at the moment. Um, but at least there are some exciting Americans that we get to talk about on that on both sides of this equation with Weston McKenney over at Juventus and then Conrad de la Fuente and Serginho Dest at uh, Barcelona. So what are you looking forward to? Specifically, I want to specifically target that matchup, that Juve-Barcelona matchup. Who do you like in that one and what are you looking forward to seeing out of uh out of those two fixtures yeah i think i mean listen you hit the nail on the head this is really about those two teams it's just about juventus and barcelona and who will top the group it's about cristiano ronaldo Lionel messi and if you're an american fan and a champions league fan and a barcelona fan or a juventus fan oh this is like hitting the jackpot yes in so many ways because like you mentioned so much american talent as well i'm also looking at another storyline and that's how is Andrea Pirlo going to manage in the Champions League you know obviously we know the genius that he was as a player I am still like the jury's out the jury's not out yet for me on how he does as a manager I think it's you know we don't know yet that you know how he will coach his teams especially when you play against a, a team like Barcelona Many people think that it'll be like a nice triangular pass and move kind of thing, but I don't know, probably not, because, you know, when you look at Barcelona, it's it's transforming itself right now. You mentioned, you know, just the inconsistency, but Ronald Koeman is more total football and less tiki-taka. So, like, you know, Pirlo has to figure out how that's going to work. When I look at both squads, I, I obviously, Juventus, I think, domestically... Uh, has less of a challenge as opposed to Barcelona. You know, Barcelona didn't win anything last year. They're still trying to compete against Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid as well. So they still have a few issues. But to me, when I look at both of these sides, it's about the middle of the pitch. It's about what Sergio Busquets and uh, De Jong... Uh, you know, and Arthur do in the middle against, you know, Rabiot. Not Arthur anymore. Not Arthur anymore. That's right, because he's left. <laughs> right, that's right. That's Weirdest, right. Weirdest, dumbest transfer. And that's an extra storyline now. That's why, I made, that's why I made the mistake, because it was so stupid. <laughs> it was so stupid. Yeah. For, like, such an he undervalued player. People, Barcelona, Barcelona uh, executives didn't even see what Arthur did in Copa America. Such a good player. But anyway, yeah. back to the point. Busquets, De Jong, etc., and what they do in the middle against Rabiot, Weston McKenney, etc., and the, the young kid, uh, Kulosevsky, who's such a talent. So, you know, that to me is the main thing. And obviously having Alvaro Morata will help Juventus put it next to Ronaldo. But if you want, I just think that with Pirlo kind of rethinking things, I see Juventus leading this this group. I, 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 you mentioned the inconsistencies with Barcelona and I'm going to stick with that. I, I, they're going to get out of the group. I just don't think they're going to win it. Yeah, I agree with you on that point. I think one interesting way to look at the way that Barcelona are currently set up is that uh, Kike Setien, when he was the manager in charge of Barcelona, he was trying to make that pivot more towards that traditional Cruyffian, uh, quote-unquote, Barcelona total football kind of move 
and it didn't necessarily gel with everybody. And so now you bring in Ronald Koeman and he's even more towards that side than Setien is. And I'm just incredibly confused by that. And as for Pirlo, I've said it a couple of times on this podcast. I think every club wants for their managers coming up to be as successful as Zinedine Zidane. And I'll use just Frank Lampard as an example. I think it was a miracle that for that somehow they brought in a manager who had one mediocre season at Derby County and things didn't just automatically blow up in their face. I think that with Andrea Pirlo, I'm kind of, if I was a Juve fan, I'd be kind of nervous. I'd be a little reserved on my expectations for this year. Do I think that they're going to blow Serie A? Maybe. I think the talent level is there, at least in terms of challenging from Atalanta and from... uh, from Inter Milan, I I don't know. I just think it's very, very weird to try to promote your players from one year coaching your reserve side. I think that's I think that's just weird. I and I think you make a I think people people make big mistakes when they try and compare it to the Sedan situation because Sedan spent a long time at La Fabrica and in, in, in uh, Real Madrid, you know, with their youth teams and with their reserve teams and learning how to coach before he became the senior coach. There was a process. It wasn't that he just like suddenly, and he probably could have like made an argument to just suddenly become the manager, but there was a process that he took. Now, I'm not wishing anything against Andrea Pirlo. I just think like to your point, you know, the moment you throw them into the lines, then like that, you better deliver, like you better deliver. So we'll see what happens. I think it would just be incredibly weird if, they decided to take that route without considering, right? Like Zidane put in his due diligence in the lower levels of the Real Madrid system. And then if Pirlo doesn't do well in three years, like what, are they gonna fire one of the best players that ever donned your jersey? Like that would be incredibly weird. And that's why I would hate like club legends to come in with little to no experience and just absolutely blowing things up, right? Because then you're stuck. You don't want to alienate a club legend. You don't want to throw your players under the bus either. So it's it's just a very weird and very sticky situation. It's a trend that I don't exactly understand. And I hope that things go better than what I'm being very cynical about. And Mauricio Pochettino remains without a job. That's probably even crazier that that you have a manager that took a Tottenham team that I doubt there are many Tottenham fans listening to us, but I'll just say this with pretty decent confidence, almost had no business of making a Champions League final if it weren't for the fact that Mauricio Pochettino was doing incredible for, for that team. And there are so many big clubs in Europe that probably could use a manager of Pochettino's stature, and for some reason, he's not hired. That does not make sense to me. And may I just add, he did it without a single transfer that season. That too. That too. (laughs) That's incredible. That's insane. Um, We're going to move on to Group H now. Uh, For me, this is my group of death. I I think there are really two arguments for the group of death, and it's group H and group D. But to me, I will take group H in terms of the team names alone, right? Manchester United, Paris Saint-Germain, RB Leipzig, and I believe the correct way to pronounce this, Turkish fans, please, 
hit me up on Twitter and tell me how incredibly wrong I am for pronouncing this. Istanbul Basakşehir, but that's going to be my best attempt. Uh, Basakşehir is the club of the current, uh, I believe, I forget whether he's the president or the prime minister of Turkey, uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Uh, they were the first club that was not one of the big three, one of the big Istanbul three of Besiktas, Fenerbahce, and Galatasaray uh, to win the Turkish Super League since Bursa Spor did it in the 2009-10 season. They have a lot of really good like Premier League legends in Rafael and Nasser Chadli on that team. Uh, and so they're going to finish fourth. I'm sorry, but that's probably the way that it's going to be uh, because they're in the toughest group out of all of them. Manchester United look like they're still putting pieces together, especially on the back line. And that's not helpful at all to their forward core, which on any other team, it seems like they would be leading the Premier League just based on that core alone. Uh, Erbe Leipzig, they were able to do something amazing. They were able to keep their young defensive players, specifically Ibrahima Konate and Dayo Upamecano from leaving in the transfer window. They lost Timo Werner, but they gained Alexander Soiloff, who was the leading scorer in the Turkish Super League last year. So I think that's a pretty decent pickup. He's 24 years old, so he should probably gel with that team pretty well. They still have Marcel Zabitzer. They still have Emil Forsberg. So that team seems like it's pretty set to go on a deep, uh, knockout stage run if they ever get there. And then, of course, Paris Saint-Germain. They lost some very key players like uh, Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting, uh, Thomas Meunier, uh, Thiago Silva, and Edinson Cavani. They added Alessandro Florenzi, so that's a pretty decent add for them. Uh, but the core is still there. It's still Kylian Mbappe. It's still Neymar. Um, I have... And this was probably the first one where I really had to sit back and think about who I was going to put. I was I have PSG winning the group, and then I have Leipzig in second, solely because I don't know how the Man United backline can expect to underperform in the Premier League but outperform themselves in the Champions League. To me, it's exactly the same thing. To me, it's exactly the same thing. I have PSG winning this group. Listen, like, you know, Cavani's gone, but it doesn't matter. As you mentioned, the core is still there. You know, Angel Di Maria as well, and Kylian Mbappé, Icardi, Neymar. This is this is a squad. This is a squad. It's the reason why they made it to the final. And, you know, with all the money in the world, I don't expect anything less than them getting out of this group. Especially, you know, they're, they're struggling a little bit in the league, but I'm sure they'll pick themselves up. But, again, in terms of the Champions League, they'll top it. You know, Istanbul Bashaksir, as you said, like Dembaba up front, Gael Clichy, like it's such a fun team. Like I feel it's like, you know, the mid 2000s Premier League team. It's so funny. Like, but again, I don't see them doing anything but but getting fourth. It's just too strong. Now, here's the thing about Leipzig. You mentioned the squad, but the biggest reason why I think they're going to get out of this group is because they kept their most important piece which is Julian Nagelsmann. I think this is a manager with tremendous quality and he can figure opponents' tactics out better than most. And that's United's problem with Solskjaer. They haven't figured themselves out yet. You mentioned that they're still missing pieces. Well, the biggest piece that they didn't fix this summer was 
you know, trying to improve their center back situation because Harry Maguire to me is very overrated. And really? Yeah, I do. I think that, especially in this situation, I I don't want to make him the the biggest issue for Man United. But you know, for all the attacking power that they brought in, they really didn't do enough to protect the back four. Alex Telles is a great player, but he's an attacking left back. He's not what Manchester United needed. If you look at that loss to Tottenham, six-one loss. Obviously, everybody collectively had a problem with it, but at the back, the centre-back leadership was a big problem, and I really think they should have done everything to try and bring in Koulibaly early on or somebody that could just fix that situation. Listen, they're still super talented. I mean, come on, Mason Greenwood, Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford, Pogba, Bruno Fernandes. My God, it just goes on and on. But what happens when the chips are not going their way in a game and you play against the Leipzig side who can figure you out? So that, to me, is a problem. So I, I mentioned this last week uh, back at work. I think that United, out of all the Premier League teams, has the toughest uh, to get out of this group. And I see PSG winning it, Leipzig second. I don't even think necessarily that Harry Maguire is the biggest problem. Sure, his price tag definitely does not reflect the kind of defender that he is. But I don't necessarily think that you could look at the remaining two like good starting quality center backs that they have in Eric Bailly and Victor Lindelof and think that they should be getting consistent starting time in the Premier League for Manchester United, right? Because I think that's probably the one thing above all else. Sure, Lindelof could probably get a starting time like a very good consistent starting time in a place like Wolverhampton even though he's not Portuguese so Wolverhampton would never take him (laughs) but um like I could see him like as like a third option like a borderline second center back third center back option at Arsenal right starting consistently at Man United he just doesn't fit it they were linked with getting Dio Upamecano earlier in the transfer window and I really am confused as to why they didn't continue to pursue it because Leipzig have a whole bunch of reserve defenders that they want to shuffle through. They want to be able to turn a profit off of these players. Upamakano is a great center back. He's definitely Leipzig's number one center back, but they have options there available to replace him. Man United don't. They needed to go and get somebody. And I was so confused this window when they didn't do that it's almost like ed woodward has had his head buried in the sand for a very long time or that he's still riding the high of not sending in that fax to send david de gea to (laughs) real madrid and he thinks that he's just the best director of football operations for every team from now until the end of time well i mean if you want to spend an hour talking on united we can totally do that because that is <laughs> that is that is that is the biggest problem i mean i interviewed edwin van der sar and and he concurred with me that you know one of the, some of the reasons why ajax has been doing so well aside from their academy or whatever is you know there's a vision united doesn't have one there's no vision right i think they jumped the gun i, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a lovely man he appears like a really good person, such, I mean, I, I grew up watching him play, but I think they jumped the gun, gave him in a contract when they beat PSG in the Champions League. You know, Mauricio Pochettino, they should, again, we mentioned him again. He, the things that Pochettino could do with the squad of Manchester United, right? And now yeah. you look at the Premier League table and, you know, they've conceded 11 goals, the second worst in the league to West Brom, who have 13. You know, it's Manchester United, right? And they're, and they're just conceding left, right and center. So, you know, 
that I, you don't need my opinion. Like, it's just facts. And so, again, when we come back to this group, they're going to struggle more than any other Premier League side in this uh, in this season. I'm not, I'm not saying they're not going to get out of it, but Leipzig is a side, and they will fight for that second spot. Let's move on to Group D. You mentioned Edwin van der Sar, and I think that's a great transition point to get into Ajax. Again, as I mentioned before, when I started off talking about Group H, this is really the other really intense group. And it starts, of course, with the most competitive team out of all of them, FC Mitchell. And I've got nothing on them just because I think that's a great setup to a joke, and I'm very happy to make that joke. Um, Liverpool, Atalanta, and Ajax are the other three teams. Ajax lost Hakim Ziyech over the summer, so that's obviously going to hurt. But they've brought in this really interesting mix of veterans over the past couple of years. Kashan Puntelar, Dusan Tadic, Nick Taliafico, right? And they've been working phenomenally for them, and they've also been promoting young academy prospects, but also going out and buying other young prospects. The prime example this year, they brought in a young Brazilian to play with David Neres. His name is Anthony. He's from Sao Paulo, and he's only cost about 20-something million euro. He's fantastic. He's going to do really well for them. Atalanta, they added a couple of midfielders in their mid-20s in Moranchuk and Pasalic to round out a really, really great team from last year. And then of course, it's Liverpool, and they really didn't need to sign anybody, but I will say this. The addition of Diego Jota and Thiago Alcantara makes them about as deep as any team in the Premier League or in the Champions League. Yep. And I think that's going to help them a lot in the long, long run. Yep, you described it. Listen, this is my favorite group in the Champions League. I love it so much. Uh, you know, you started with Ajax. You know, I don't need to really repeat what you said. It's just, it's the Ajax way, man. It's just the way they do it. They find true gems, they sell at a good value, and then they repeat and recycle. And it's just all, and then when you couple with the system and the way that they play, it's just, they're just such a good side. Even if you're like, you know, uh, a PSV uh, fan, I guess, aside from them, you just can't help but root for Ajax. Like, they're just, they're just so good in the Champions League. Liverpool, like you mentioned, they just got better. I'm a lifelong Aston Villa fan, so I can say anything I want about Liverpool right now because they faced the true death of Villa. But, you know, in the Champions Congratulations League... Congratulations on that. <laughs> oh, it was great. The Champions League, you know, like you said, they just, there's continentally, they're just so ready for this. We know what Jurgen Klopp's going to bring. And Atalanta, I mean, come on. Gasparini's side is the, you know, when Atalanta and Liverpool meet, it's going to be like the equivalent of the Mike Tyson quote, everybody has a plan until you punch them in the face. This is that game. They're just so explosive. And Atalanta is just so, you have to root for them. They have the budget of a mid-table championship side that do tremendous things, are in the Champions League. They're amazing. Michelin, lucky for you, Jake. I just interviewed Brian Prisky and their captain, and they are such a great story. They, they are the underdog, the true underdog. But a few things about them that people should know is they're owned by the same person who owns Brentford. And, you know, they have a very data-centric, analytic-centric way of thinking about the game. They do their homework, and they're also super collectively minded. Like in training meetings, uh, players will have their say about 
you know, opponents and they might have like an opinion about a certain set piece. It's a very um, sort of collective group type thinking type of team. And yes, they are definitely going to be the super uber underdogs in this story. But they're such a good story to follow because they're smart and they think like a good team and they play like a hardworking team. And, you know, they were on the brink of bankruptcy, like, you know, when they first started. And they're a young side. They're only 21 years old of existence. So, you know, you have to root for them as well. So that's why I like this group. You like all of them. They're all managed by really great people, all great players in every single one. So you like kind of don't care who gets out of it because you want to root for all of them. But I have to stick with the champions from two seasons ago. Liverpool, I think, will top this. And then the second one will be tough, I think. But I'm going to go with Atalanta. How could you not? Just such a aggressive, fun team. And when it comes to like do or die situations as like, like the Champions League, you have to go with Atalanta. But Ajax is going to give it a damn good go, and so is Michelin. I think it's going to be really tough between that Atalanta side and that Ajax side. But I'll go further on a prediction. I think whichever team comes in third and then advances to the Europa League, because I assume that whoever's going to do very well out of this group is going to make it to the Europa League. I imagine whether it's Ajax or whether it's Atalanta, I think they'll make at least the semifinals. Yep, I think I, I, I think they have good enough quality between the both of them to make a run, if not to the finals, if not to win the whole thing, when Sevilla inevitably gets knocked out by Krasnodar, I think that either of them will do incredibly well in the Europa League if they keep up their uh, their momentum. I so concur, my friend. I concur. Let's move on to Group C. Uh, Manchester City, Olympi- uh, Olympique de Marseille, uh, Olympiacos, and Porto. And I want to start with Porto because every time I see that Tecapito is still on Porto, I get surprised because every time I play FIFA career mode, he <laughs> always gets transferred to Atletico Madrid. And I'm just shocked every time that he's not there. But Tecatito is still on Porto. It's going to be the first full season that Pepe has been back since, I believe, 2007-08. So that's going to be incredibly fun. Or 06-07. I think he went to Real around that time. Uh, Olympiacos, the only lo- their only big loss in the transfer window was Samikas to Liverpool. They made 13 transfers in, 13 unique transfers. So that's not people that they sent out on loan and then came back. They got 13 people, Bayern Munich fans. One of them was Rafinha. So that's your team to root for in this group. Uh, Olympique Olympique Marseille, they promoted six youth players from their academy to play this season, so that's going to be fun to watch. And I really just have three questions for Manchester City. It's can Ruben Diaz be as good as John Stones? Uh, (laughs) Will Torres live up to his billing? And will Pep Guardiola finally stop experimenting in big games? <laughs> I think he will. And I think it's going to be really tough to determine who second place is in this group. I think City's going to win. They're going to walk out with this. I want to say Marseille. I want to say Marseille comes in second just by a little bit over Porto. And then Porto's going to make a phenomenal run in the Europa League. Oh, man. Like, okay, let's begin with the biggest part of all this right this is like if Pep Guardiola doesn't win the Champions League or at least make it to the final with Manchester City like I'm seriously questioning 
what will his future be unless, of course, Lionel Messi, you know, leaves Barcelona, joins him for City. So maybe he won't win it just for the sake that he needs to repeat the storyline that he can't win a Champions League without Lionel Messi, right? But again, to your point, I mean, what was Man City doing when they played Real Madrid this past season and he experimented so much, it, it came back to bite him. So now you have to think, you have to win this group and you have to get out of the knockout stage, obviously, and you have to go all the way at least until the final because you have the pieces. Ruben Diaz, right, he's come in. You need to make sure that, you know, he finally cements that centre-back problem. Ferran Torres is a player. He is so good. So hopefully... He adds another dimension to what already they have, right? Raheem Sterling, Riyad Mahrez, etc. The one question mark for Man City as well that people need to remember is that Sergio Aguero is not going to be back to 100% until probably the knockout stage. You know, he, he came back from, he's, he's, he's recuperating from a big knee injury surgery that he has to fix. Obviously, Gabriel Jesus is so good and, and the all-time Brazilian scorer in the Premier League, but he can't do it alone. So they still have a few pieces. I love Marseille. Marseille is such a team. I love them so much. Um, they have so many weapons that can cause so many problems. So we already know the skills of Marseille. Tovan, uh, Dimitri Payet, Benedetto, you know, uh, Kamara, defensive midfielder. They still, they're just such an aggressive team that you just don't know what... This could be the chance when they may not win the group, but they'll come second. And to your point, listen, Tecatito Corona for me, my God, he should be playing. Like, Porto is a great team, but he should be coming to a top, top league. He is so good. And he's just such a highlight reel. That Even as just, an American, like... You I have to appreciate... Tecatito not playing... Like, he... He... Admit, like, at minimum, he should be playing on Valencia. Like, that's, that's where I yeah, see him in my mind, right? Like, a, a mid-level yes. La Liga side, right? But that's where he should be. He shouldn't be content to just winning uh, the Portuguese first division every single year. No, like, he should I want to see league. him go out and do better. Absolutely. And Portugal, right? Go find him, Wolverhampton. <laughs> go bring him in. He's basically Portuguese. Well... He's- I th- long enough. Go and get him. I thought that he would have been a prime target because he would have partnered up, obviously, with uh, Raul Jimenez as well. Like, that would have been such a good addition. Musa Morega as well, such a good striker. So, you know, this should, you know, you mentioned Olympiacos, of course, as well, and, and just the additions that they've had. So this is a super intriguing one, and we talk a lot about the other group with Liverpool, Atalanta, and how they're going to score a lot of goals. This one could be a high-scoring group. There's so much firepower from all over. But then when I look at it, you just have to go back to conventional wisdom. Man City will win this group, and it's going to be a battle for the second spot. And I'm going to go with Porto, I think. Let's go with Tecatito and Porto. Let's just be more interesting. I would say Marseille, but let's go with Porto and just the the firepower that they have and, and take that too. But it's up for grabs. It's up for grabs for sure. They have been consistently making that round of 16, so that's not a bad shout. Uh, moving on to Group B, uh, Real Madrid, uh, Inter Milan, Shakhtar Donetsk, and Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, Shakhtar is still the Rio de Janeiro of Eastern Europe. Uh, the only, a fun fact, the only non-Brazilians or Ukrainians playing on this team is one Israeli and one Georgian. And that is it. Everyone else is from Ukraine. 
or has some tie to Brazil in some way, shape, or form. Borussia Mönchengladbach is a very sneaky, good offensive team. When you've got Marcus Taram, Briella Mbolo, Patrick Carman, Alessandro Plea, Florian Neuhaus, uh, their defensive backline leaves a lot to be desired, but their midfield is pretty solid. Their attack is fantastic. I could see them really making an impact, uh, but probably not enough, I think, to crack second behind a Real Madrid team that sold Ashraf Hakimi, and I was kind of shocked that they didn't buy anybody at the deadline. They've been wanting to bring in goal scoring from non-Kareem Benzema sources, and I'm shocked that they didn't try and go and find that again. Uh, Inter bringing in Hakimi, it's kind of ironic that they drew Real in the first round. Lukaku is fantastic. They have Christian Eriksen. They have Alexis Sanchez, who seemed to do serviceable for them last year. I could, I see both of them really making it out. I think Munchen Gladbach is going to be a really great third-place shout. They might tie Inter Milan on points, uh, but Real's probably going to walk out with this one. I think Inter have it pretty set up as well, but this should be a fun group. Shakhtar is, like, I feel like every single one of these teams have the ability to get out. It's just whether or not they actually will is a different question. Yeah, I think that I think that's uh, that's the best way to say it. Listen, I think we could, we don't have to overcomplicate this. Real Madrid, Inter Milan are getting out of this group. Uh, I totally appreciate the competitiveness of the two other sides. I feel really old to talk about the fact that Lilian Taram's son is now going to be in the Champions League. It makes me feel so old. But I didn't even mention that Justin Kluivert is now yeah. on Herbe Leipzig. Well, there so you go. So, like, as somebody who grew up as, as a teenager in the 90s and appreciating that type, the fact that their children are now in the Champions League is kind of crazy. But, you know, Real Madrid, Inter Milan will take this. I think that the thing about um, Real Madrid is as long as you have Sedan and as long as you have this core group of of players and a healthy Sergio Ramos and Karim Benzema, there's just you know nothing else that's left to say. They have won more Champions League titles than anybody else for a reason. They know exactly what they need to do in Europe. Inter Milan is just you know like you mentioned, not only Lukaku and his power and 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 his and his vision and and how smart he is up front, but then you look at Lautaro Martinez right next to him, Barella right behind him. They've added Arturo Vidal, who who I think Vidal okay. Vidal suits Inter Milan better than he suited Barcelona. So I think that that's going to help him, you know. And Alexis Sanchez as well. You mentioned Hakimi, Perisic, of course. It, it's just it's just a team that has such a history in the competition that you can't see them not doing anything better than getting out of it. I don't think they'll win it. I think Real Madrid is too experienced to... Uh, and I think like Hazard will have a point to prove because I think it was such an inconsistent season for him last time around. So there's no need to overcomplicate things. Real Madrid, Inter Milan to get out of it. Last but not least, Group A, uh, a.k.a. the most important group, the group that really matters. <laughs> um, Atletico Madrid, uh, Bayern Munich, uh, Lokomotiv Moscow, and uh, Red Bull Salzburg. Um, Red Bull Salzburg, as I like to call them, Marsh Madness. Uh, they have a lot of youngsters coming up, right? That's the one thing that I've kind of really appreciated about all of these Red Bull teams. They have a lot of investment into younger players and look no further than Marsh Madness. Uh, 
Two players that I think really should be highlighted both on the attack, Zambia's Patson Daka and Hungary's Dominic Shobdry. He, I think he was the one that scored that worldie of a free kick uh, for Hungary a couple weeks ago. Like that was a fantastic, uh, that was a fantastic kick. Uh, Lokomotiv Moscow, as of right now, have six injuries. They lost Alexi Maranchuk to Atalanta, as I recently mentioned. Uh, one of their top scorers, Smolov, is out. Uh, I think they're going to have a really rough go in this one. The first game of this group is Bayern Munich versus Atletico Madrid. Ooh. Insane first game. Uh, first of all, Lucho Suarez is back. Uh, I think that he's going to be really helpful. I think this Atleti team seemed lost without Antoine Griezmann, and I think Barcelona seemed lost with Antoine Griezmann. Uh, but they really missed his scoring touch, and I think Suarez brings that, and it's going to help them a lot. Funny funny fact, they brought back Yannick Carrasco from China, which is funny, and it's full circle for him. Losing Tomas Partey is a big loss for them, but looking at this Bayern Munich side, right, it was a team that just won the Champions League. They have depth for days. They just got more depth on the wings in terms of Leroy Sané, their back line has been a little bit lost in their first couple of games of the season. For example, Alfonso Davies isn't playing. When Hansi Flick came in, he mentioned at the very beginning of his tenure, he said that the left-back position was Luca Hernandez's to lose. Uh, he's kept to his word by starting Luca Hernandez at that left-back spot that Alfonso Davies had really locked down these last couple of games. And I personally think the back line looks a little bit confused, a little bit slow without having Davies there. And I think it's kind of hurting them, right? Jerome Boateng, I think his last season was a bit of a miracle, and I don't know how much longer that's going to keep up. Of course, they have Nicolas Suda on the bench. David Alaba, fantastic, almost as always, except for one really fluky performance against Sevilla in the Super Cup. Uh, it's, it's going to be a fun group. I think Bayern tops it. I think Atleti is going to come in second. Uh, but I, I'm a bit concerned just as a Bayern. I, I find it weird, right? For a team that wins a lot, I love to poke holes in a lot of different places in this team. But um, I, think, I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to make it through. I just, I just want to – I'm curious to see how long that defensive backline pairing between Alaba and Boateng holds up. Yeah, this is a great group. I mean, you know, let, let's begin with with uh, Salzburg, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, Schoboslai is like my favorite player in the Champions League to watch for, I think. I just, I, he's so talented. I love the fact that he's Hungarian. It gives me this Pushkas feeling. You know, he's such a good, uh, good free kick taker, but he's young, he's mobile, he has vision. He plays right behind the strikers. He's just a great player to, to see. Uh, you mentioned Daka, but the other one I think to talk about is Sekou Koita, the the the, the forward from from Mali. Like he, he's he's only 20 years old and he plays with no fear. He's smart. Uh, so you know Jesse Marsh has done tremendous things with this team, and and I don't doubt that they're gonna give it another go and see what they can do. It's gonna be difficult for sure. Lokomotiv Moscow, you mentioned the injuries and some departures, including my compatriot. Heverson Farfan, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a difficult one for them to get out of as well. 
So let's talk now about these top two. Atletico Madrid, first of all, I think Luis Suarez under Simeone is a match made in heaven as long as he stays healthy. And you're going to see the best of that um, in, in the Champions League. Here's the other thing. Joao Felix finally seems comfortable in this squad and comfortable with the responsibility of what he needs to do to supply to to Suarez. You mentioned that like without Griezmann, Atletico Madrid looked less direct. Well, now Luis Suarez brings that back a little bit. Uh, I worry a little bit about their midfield. Uh, like you mentioned Partey leaving because Coque and Saul, they're great uh, when they have the ball, when they don't have it, and they come back to try and, you know, defensive transition themselves, it can be a problem. So when you play somebody like Bayern Munich, that's a big issue, right? So, but listen, Bayern Munich, the defending champions, my God, what a team, just from everywhere. Thomas Muller looks so good. They have arguably the best number nine in the world in Robert Lewandowski, and even though uh, Alfonso Davis uh, might not seal that left-back spot to Hernandez, he's still sort of used as well right in front of Hernandez. So, you know, that could offer a possibility. And then Serge Gnabry, right, the West Brom Arsenal reject. My God, what a player he is. It's, it's going to be very difficult for anybody to dethrone Bayern Munich once again. But I will say this. They are the type of champion that allow you to play your game too. So they have to worry about that. They're, they, they're so high up and they're so offensively minded that sometimes, especially when you play somebody like Atletico, like you have to be worried. That game, that opening game is going to be amazing. But I see Bayern winning this group, Atletico coming second, even though Salzburg, I think, could really push for that high top third place. They're going to be fun. It's going to be a fun group, right? Like, I don't think there are a lot of groups that are just absolute snore fests in this one, which I kind of enjoy, right? Every group, I would say for the exception of the first group that we talked about, that Sevilla, Chelsea, Krasnodar, Rennes, I think most of them have some really, really great matchups in there. And I think for a lot of them, they're stacked with teams that you could pretty much see going on to the next round. And so... This is going to be a great season. It's going to be a fun group stage to watch. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to seeing all of it. So, Luis, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, for everybody at home, his podcast is Que Golazo. They're going to start putting those out very soon. Again, Luis, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much. I had a blast.